Broadcasting from Ireland, featuring interviews with some of the biggest names in magic, welcome to the Deceive Reality Podcast with your hosts, David Peace and Steve Spade. And we're back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Deceive Reality Podcast. My name is David Peace. I'm here with Steve Spade. Steve, how are you doing? I'm good, man. All good. Brilliant. And we have a brilliant guest here this week, Garrett Thomas. Garrett, how are you getting on? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate you joining us on the show. It's uh, it's, it's great to have someone with your experience come on and like share, share the knowledge, so we really appreciate it. Love it. Absolutely. So we always like to start the podcast talking about how we all ended up in this weird, mad world that is magic. How did you get like hooked on magic to begin with, and where did that love really begin? Well, uh, you know, I, I always thought it was like somebody I saw on TV or things like that, but really when I thought about it psychologically uh it ended up being it was the one thing my dad liked you know so he uh he wouldn't come to the football games or the baseball games mm-hmm. he was too busy for that but you know he loved to watch magic tricks he loved puzzles he wasn't a magician but he did do like one or two tricks of the diamond penny and things like that and uh, so it got his attention and it was something that we kind of bonded on and uh, so it instilled obsession at a very young age. And then very quickly, I was seeking out magicians. And that's when I saw guys like uh, Brian Gillis on The Tonight Show. Uh, he, he had this style. And I didn't really notice it until he was on the first World's Greatest Magicians. Uh, it was at the Magic Castle. And uh, he just was a guy doing magic. It wasn't an act. It wasn't a character. It wasn't a a show. He was just a guy doing magic. And I just fell in love with that. Later found out Brian Gillis was from Buffalo, New York, where I'm from. And he was an Eddie Fector student, which is Eddie was a friend of my father's. Uh, That's how my dad learned about the diamond penny trick. Uh, so Eddie Fector is the founder of the Forks Hotel and the guy that started the group, the 4F, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's the most advanced elite sleight of hand group uh, in the world. You know, for years, it was the, the best of the best of close up magicians. And so I was surrounded by magic uh, all the time. And uh, uh, after I saw Brian perform, I realized that I liked being a magician. I didn't like doing a magic act, but I liked the idea of being a magician, and I got sucked in. So I started uh, started looking for ways to learn magic because of dyslexia. I went to the library, got the magic books, and it was like reading medical journals. They're, you know, they're very complex, as as you know, we all yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, unless you're sitting there and you kind of have a baseline of what's going on, it, they're really hard to to read. Uh, so I would watch more videos and try to figure out what people were doing. And it, it made me a problem solver and made me look at magic like a puzzle. Uh, and it is a puzzle. It's not a puzzle for the audience. It's a puzzle for the performer. We have to figure out how to give people a moment that isn't real. And uh, so my dyslexia, I believe, made me a problem solver because I would look through life and try to figure out figure out how to play a game without reading the instructions, figure out how to, to work a, a radio or a computer without reading the instructions. So it made me the type of person I am. So I can't be uh, upset about it, but it, it really set me, uh, set me apart to try to figure out how to be a magician. 
Yeah. It's, it's good you, you're mentioning Brian as well. You know, his style always kind of stood out to me as well. It's just he just had a kind of a naturalness. It didn't seem very forced or anything. It just seemed like it just flowed like, like magic should. It should look effortless, I guess. Well, one of the things I say in my show is, you know, I, I thought magicians on TV were real people. You know, Penn and Teller, one guy talks, one guy doesn't talk. I met the guy who doesn't talk. He talked to me. It broke my heart. <laughs> it's true it's true and chris angel's not an 18 year old emo kid you know i <laughs> i know but david blaine you know the reason i support david blaine and that that's you know fast forward that that's kind of uh a big part of you know my career in the last decade i uh, you know it david is david it's he, you know he's an adrenaline junkie nutcase you know he's a genuine person that's just who he is you know, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that his voice was like a character and it's not, it's just, just David, you know, that's just, you know, he's, he's hilarious, but stoic, you know, and he's got this, this energy that's contagious, but in a very like somber, you know, stoic way, not somber, but just very subdued. And it's, uh, I love that. I loved, you know, I, I think any art form is, an excuse to meet another person is what I said uh, on the, on the Penn and Teller show. And I think it's true. I think, you you know, this is the medium magic, or if you want to be a, a musician or whatever art form you want to get into, that's your medium to share who you are with the world. And so I, I didn't want to share somebody else. I didn't want to be an actor portraying the role of a magician. I wanted to be a magician. Yeah. I think that's it's really interesting that thing of like it's something we all see with someone when they go into performance mode and it's like one of the things that we try to like get away from of like getting into that performance mode i even find myself like i don't have a specific script but sometimes i fall into one and go oh i'm on autopilot get out of it get out do you find yourself that sort of way trying to make sure it stays natural and that you're not in autopilot mode when you're performing yeah luckily for me uh even though everything i say has technically been scripted i can't follow a script for the life of me uh, i would I've, I've tried to get into acting and stuff like that but i can't uh hit certain beats or rhythms uh i know what to say i know the spirit of what i want to say and that actually ended up being a blessing for the uh the issue that you're, you're saying that that you could fall into a script uh you know but and i also want to point out there's nothing wrong with uh, a big character that's very well scripted and a theatrical show, if that's yeah. your goal. You know, there, there are many uh, characters that are fantastic uh, that, that can pull you into a theatrical experience, but that wasn't what I wanted to do with Astonishment. I wanted to bring, I didn't want to make people forget about their bills. I wanted to make people question why they pay them. You know, I wanted to mess with their world. I wanted to twist reality, not bring them into a false reality. Uh, mm -hmm. And both are valuable. You know, there is a time and a place for everything. So if you, you know, you know if the listeners are, are somebody who has a, a character who's a, 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 from the Victorian age or, a, you know, from, a, from the future, uh, that's nothing wrong with that. You know, there, there's a, there's a ways to, but understand you're doing that for a theatrical reason and, and play with it. Uh, the problem, like you said, uh, David, is when you, you slip in and out of that, it confuses the audience. You know, yeah. there's moments of authenticity and then moments that it, it feels like uh, you're, you're jumping into a different personality. And unless there's a 
script for that, or unless there's a story that follows that line, it can really be confusing and definitely something you should avoid. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. true. It's, it's definitely one of the things because it's one of the routines of yours that I do quite a bit is ring thing. Love ring thing. It's <laughs> obsessed with it. Right. And I think it's one of those tricks. If there's ever a trick, it's universal in magic. Ring thing seems to be one of those things that like everybody does. How did that whole thing come up for you, like doing? Well, it was it was an old linking ring routine. Uh, not not linking ring the trick, but the in the linking ring magazine in America we have the IBM. Mm -hmm. Our magazine's called the the linking ring, and uh, it was this routine in there with thimbles, and I liked it. It was so visual and so poppy, and it was, I was like twelve years old, and I practice it and practice it and I got it down, but it, I never brought it out. I never showed it to anybody because it was like this thimble magic, you know, it's like, I couldn't justify uh, having a thimble at school. You know, it's like, Oh, look guys, you know? Uh, so I was like, I wanted to use this skill set I had. And so, you know, again, the problem solving spirit in my head, you know, I, I never read a book, you know, in, and I got through high school and middle school and uh, parts of college, you know, without ever reading a book. And uh, that's because I was constantly trying to figure out the answers without studying anything. I mean, I, I, I would have to, in hindsight, I, I was studying, but I was studying in other ways. There's other ways to get the information besides just words. I was very attuned to listening and picking up uh, the direction people were going. And that empathy helped me as a magician, I believe. Uh, but so the, the transferring the thimble magic into ring magic was just the uh, the beginning. And then I realized it opened up the door of so much. There wasn't really a lot of ring manipulation stuff. Uh, even later, this type of stuff with DeVoe, uh, mm. that that didn't happen till, till later. The ring thing kind of happened first. And it is such a... It, it caught on like wildfire so quick that everybody thought it was a standard in magic. Like it was something that was written when Martin Gardner was doing the flyaway birdie trick or the, uh, uh, and it did have a inception with those type of tricks. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, the, the one where the ring jumps from finger to finger uh, yeah. or, or excuse me, back then it was a cigar band at the fingertips or a, uh, it was it was it was something at the fingertips. It was a thimble or a cigar band, and it was up here. And uh, have you ever wondered why magicians are tapping their wrist when they do the trick? Yeah. The reason is because the trick doesn't bear repetition, and it was a time traveling thimble or cigar band, and it was jumping through time, and you could only do it once. Because if you did the trick over and over again, you would see the 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 principle that's involved. Yeah. So I uh, so the time traveling cigar man. It was a it was a pun, but it also framed it nicely because what he did is he did it around the watch, and he said it's going to travel through time. Ha ha ha! But then it then it happens, and then then the uh, the thimble would literally jump through and back. Now, if you do that over and over again, you know, if, yeah, even if your 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 viewers are rewind the film, you'll see what happened there, right? You'll, you'll <laughs> figure out very quickly what happened there. But I, you know, I liked, I wanted to take advantage of that concept 
I wanted to eliminate all the things that didn't make sense. And now you got magicians tapping their wrists for no reason. They, they eliminated the joke and the reason for the, the, the framing. And it was really smart. I mean, it was a brilliant idea to frame it around a watch. It was clearly, it was clearly a transposition and back. Mm -hmm. The problem when you have a transposition and back, it doesn't seem to have an effect. It seems to be a delusion. It's like, wait, did that happen? Do it again. Problem is, this trick can't be done again and again. So you needed to you need to go, hey, I'm only gonna do this once. We're gonna be, you know, just watch closely. It's gonna go through time and back again. And that's it. Can, can be one of those ones where it's going to take a lot out of me, so I can only do it once, and then I got to go and have a cup of coffee and sit down. Yeah, have a nap. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's, there's whatever way you want to frame it. Uh, yeah. Sure, uh, it, it was one of those things that doesn't bear repetition, and therefore going over the top and framing it nicely with the watch, brilliant idea. Uh, but now we just forget about that. You know, we 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 tend to forget why magicians or creators created the trick they did. You know, one of the things I always point out um, is, you know, Slidini's 10 count, yeah. right? A lot of people don't know, don't know what's the principle. Uh, why did he even create that 10 count thing? Um, Where did they come from? <laughs> That's amazing. The, the, the reason is that you can't see the principle because a new object pops in the site. So when I put this in my hand, you can't watch what's going on in here because, because this yeah. pops in the site. Even though you you knew it was there, when a new object pops in the view, you're drawn to it. So Slidini was looking for a reason to be in this position. Mm -hmm. And so he invented the 10 count. Right? Now, if you understand that, you could just you could just show the hand like this and do that and achieve the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Because even just the hand bringing this into view, you know, as you come back, that's enough to, yeah. uh, to draw the eye to it, yeah. right? So when you understand why the guy created it, you can take advantage of that. And maybe you don't do the 10 count, but you can use, especially with, you know, Zoom magic and stuff that's on camera today, you have a fixed point of view. You know, you know exactly where where that person's going to be. So to to have take advantage of something like that uh, is a brilliant thing. So I love figuring out not just what to do. You know, anyone can figure out what to do. Why, and then see if there's other ways to achieve that same uh, process. You know, it, if you you know, it's it's kind of like breaking the rules once you know why they're there. Mm -hmm. If you if you run in the street, you will get hit by a car. It's not true, but it, yeah. you tell that to someone young who who doesn't know the look both ways. You know, if you if you if you have a run with a pair of scissors in your hands, you're gonna you know stab yourself. It's not a guarantee, you know. If you but if you're not sensitive to the dangers, then you are likely to hurt yourself. So, you know, once you're smart enough to understand why the rule is in place. Uh, then you're able to to dance with it. You, you can see that as well in a lot of Sidini's work. You know that kind of always trying to avert your gaze. I mean, like obviously, paper balls over the head is is a perfect example of that. But it's it's nice to see it coming from you know like that SpongeBob type routine or or the ten counting. You know, all those little elements were there and everything he did. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he, and he loved those type of principles, and you know, I uh, and it pushed magic uh, further uh, mm-hmm. in that era. Yeah. I think it really shows that like learning magic from the right place is so important because so many people can teach teach something like the ring thing. You can just be like, oh, oh, yeah, it's just you just do this or teaching sponge balls, but when it's been taught by someone who actually knows the original and gives it the respect it deserves and is a real student of the craft, then you get those extra little tips of like, not just the hows, but the whys. Mm -hmm. Uh, An example of that is uh, the classic thumb, pulling the thumb off. If you just do it, if you know how to do it, you know, you you could do this and and it looks okay, but it's not, you know, it's, you know, you had a really thick finger there for a second. You know, it was like, what? You know, why? Why did that? Uh, but if you really put in all the touches, any gag could be a showpiece. The reason it became a gag is because it was a showpiece. It got so popular that imitators did it wrong, but that means the first guy did it so right that everyone loved it. So I realized that with the the thumb. Uh, removal of the thumb illusion uh if you get into position correctly i uh, that's good but if you then instead of getting out of position by the same method you change methods and you just show the hand you just lift turn the hand up and down so taking something that's just this and i love this you know i did this on fool us for the uh the yeah. i did this part on on fool us but the, they chose a camera angle that flashed the uh, the the trick because they thought I the editors thought I thought that I wanted it to look like a gag because it was a joke. But what I love about this is if you chose if they chose the right angle, it was it was it's usually perfect. And uh, I love that everyone knows how it's done and it still looks good. Yeah. Right. I love this idea of a rainbow where you can't unsee it. Like, you know, it's refracted light, you know, it's not there, but you can't unsee it. And so, if you know, if you, if you grab onto the thumb and then first move the hand, it shows a disconnect. It creates the illusion of a disconnect where this is the tip of the thumb is not moving, but the rest of the hand is. And then when you get into position, the disconnect makes sense. And then when you come back, you just move the hand up and down. And it does the moment that this hand goes out of view is, is, and it's just organic. It's, it's actually a lot easier to do this than it is to do uh, the, the switch quickly. Uh, but if done right, it looks great. The ring thing is the same type of thing. If you do it wrong, it's a gag, but man, if you put all the touches, you know, there are, several points to get the the angle right the elbow has to be up there's so many things to make it look good where if if not it's going to be fun people are still going to like it it's going to be a gag though it's going to be oh that's cute instead of what the heck was that mm-hmm. yeah. i always find it like it's one of my opening pieces that i use like when i approach a group it's like one of my opening ones and it always just gets such a killer reaction that it's like if you give it the respect it deserves and you get that back to the audience because it is something like oh yeah it's like i think assumptions in magic like the audience making assumptions and especially early on you go oh i took my ring off they're like yeah okay and they don't question it until it's back on the finger and then it's too late for them to even backtrack or anything which is the assumptions just 
spilled into the effect so nicely. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and also doing it with a ring where it's not it's not a community object. You know, that's one of the reasons I focused on ring magic is because cards and coins are community objects. They you, nobody when you hand somebody a playing card, they don't go, "Ooh, this is the magician's card." Right? If you hand somebody a coin or a dollar bill, they don't go, "Ooh, this is the magician's coin or this is the magician's money." Unless it's very fancy, like a like a, a nice Morgan dollar, they might then say, you know, this is a fancy coin. This is a magician's coin. Uh, but if you hand them a quarter, they're not going to think this is the magician's quarter because quarters, bills, money, cards, these are community objects. They're things you just spread around and it's for everybody. Uh, but you take off the ring and you say, check that out. This is the magician's ring. This is this is something serious. This is, you know, this is uh, this has got so much symbolism in it. And uh, I also like the fact that you don't have to go into your pockets to find magic. You know, if someone goes, oh, you're a magician, show me something. You know, and then uh, you go, sure, no problem. Well, you're not magic. You're looking for magic. You're, you're doing something there, right? And so, uh, you know, I like the idea. In my mind, I have this internal script right before I do the ring magic where I, I will say, uh, sure. Yeah, we can show you something. Uh, here, let's use the ring. And I, I look around as if, well, I could use the, the chair and I could use the, uh, the, the, uh, the Ottoman or I can use, I'll use the ring. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I'm looking around the room as if, sure, we could see where's magic. Uh, well, here, let's do this as if I could have done anything. And, uh, there was this one time, I uh, like this years ago, I was a, when I was a young magician, uh, this group of girls came into the elevator. They were auditioning for America's Got Talent. And so they're all dressed up, ready to go. And in all my friends and I were young, so we're we're in the elevator and like, oh, that's you know they're beautiful. And uh, and so uh, they read our tags because we were at a magic convention. It happened at the same hotel, and they're like, "You're magicians, show us something." And they're like, "Sure." And I was like, "Sure, here, watch." And, and like, I had the fastest draw because my magic is always ready. You know, my favorite thing was in high school when you're palming a coin, when you're practicing uh, hiding things in your hands, uh, if somebody said, hey, can you can you do a trick? You're like, I don't know, maybe, bang! You know, it's like, <laughs> and you just like, have it ready. It was the best, right? And it was just yeah. the best feeling in the world that you were steps ahead of them. Well, this, having a ring on your finger, if someone says, can you show me something? I could take the ring off secretly and then say, here, let's do something with a ring. You know, do you see the ring? Let me let me do that and let's make it, you know, and let's let's use this. Right. And if they didn't notice it before, it's like he never got anything. He was always there. Uh, so I like doing that sometimes or other times I'll just say, here, see my ring and go right into it. That's okay. <laughs> for ev for everyone who's not watching and listening, you just miss the best ring thing ever. <laughs> Magic. It's just so that oh, so, yeah. so there will be there will be viewers that are not are only audio. <clears throat> well, well, that'd be that'd be foolish on their behalf. They need to get back and see the, the, the yeah. definitely go go to go to the video and and check this out. Uh, yeah, and 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 even the ring thing. You know, when I teach it, uh, my video has twenty seven different versions using that one concept. So you get to pick and choose. 
Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people learned the ring thing from uh, Greg Wilson's ring and string video. Uh, and I gave him permission to do it, but he did the manipulation version, which is a little easier where you don't actually take the ring off. But for those watching, uh, and we'll come a little closer, uh, you can see that ring is not on the finger right before it is on the finger. That's to me, that's the ring thing. That's the, the, the full yeah. act. It becomes like a showpiece because they see the ring and the finger and you, and then you come up into position and then it's there and, and everything's clear. Uh, instead of the, the quick version, which doesn't really move things as much and is a lot less sleight of hand, the quick version has angle issues and stuff like that. And it's only to be used in the right situation. And that's especially the one that if you do it wrong, it looks like the gag. Uh, this uh, has a lot more to it. It's a lot more clear. And people understand uh, what's happening when they see the ring jump from hand to hand. Yeah. yeah. It's got a great retention of vision. You can really see the ring go across. Thank you. Yeah. I think the great thing, I, what I love about ring magic as well is that I'm a fidgeter, so I'm always fidgeting, and rings are just so handy to just, like, do the on-the-finger rolls, <laughs> just, like, all these things that are just, like, now, like, nervous habits just to pass the time and stuff like that, and you can get it. Yeah, this so was an stuff. old video uh, by DeVoe, and uh, he, uh, the, uh, a faceless magician that just hands, uh, taught all these ring manipulations. Uh, he created this, which is weird, because this is called the uh that's called the 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 griffin roll or this this is the this is the griffin roll yeah. and this is the steeplechase which i think is named backwards like this seems to be more like a roll <laughs> and this seems to be like uh the a steeplechase uh like a coin roll uh so but uh, one of the things that i added was to switch hands and go counterclockwise in the other hand or to excuse me to keep it both uh clockwise and bo on both so that you can do transfers from hand to hand and this is uh you, you, if you get his video he teaches the amount of i mean it's it's just subtle working of the gravity that allows that ring to roll around so it's definitely a fun fidget for those fidgeters uh like david and i <laughs> don't learn it in college that was my mistake i almost got like kicked out of so many lectures by dropping coins and <laughs> rings, so, so. yeah get into pen spilling spinning like all the other kids <laughs> yeah, you know actually talking about the ring thing I mean, obviously a lot of magicians do it but even when we saw david blaine tour he came to ireland and uh and before he did the it was the ring on the hanger. The, yep. the, he, he throws it in there, which is great, you know, and, and it, it's an offbeat moment. So it's, but it gets a great reaction. Yeah. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it was a weird thing. He kind of uses it a little more like a gag uh, just to get people into thinking like a magician, like magic. So he, he purposely does it in, in a, he does the, the more manipulation version mm -hmm. because he wants to throw them into that type of thinking. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think he pretends to spit it back on or something. Yeah, yeah he, he has exactly. a little take on it that's different. Yeah, yep, cool. How, how did you get uh, into working with David Blaine and that whole side of your career? The, the ring thing, uh, he heard about the trick, and uh, Ace Greenberger, or, or excuse me, Greenberg, uh, magician in New York City, uh, he's passed away now, but uh, he, um, he was a great magician, good friends with David and, uh, had seen me at the 4F convention and, uh, 
he could kind of do it. You know, this was years ago when the ring thing was just kind of coming out. This is right after David's first special. And, uh, you know, he showed it to David and said, if you like what I'm doing, you got to see the, the guy who created it. And uh, David, uh, you know, he, he doesn't uh, mess around. He just said, give me his number, called me up. It was like right, like a couple days after his first special aired. <laughs> and so I thought somebody was pranking me. <laughs> right, the guy I just watched is calling me. At, yeah, hey man, I heard about this ring trick, and it's like that's not even a real person. That's Joe. Who is this? Is this Alex? You know who is this? Joe? Yeah, you know, what are you guys? Up? You know, and no, it's really no. This is David Blaine, and it was this. Uh, uh, he had he convinced he put Ace on the phone, and Garrett, you got to get out of here. And Ace like told me, uh, no, this is David Blaine, and uh, I said, well, you know what? I already published it. So I'll send you the video. And David's like, no, 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 you're going to come here. We're going to hang out. We'll have the time of our life, you know, and then, and I'll pay you for your time. And then if I use it, I'll, you know, we'll take care of you. And no one in the industry was like doing that. You know, it basically it was back then, you know, uh, we didn't think about TV rights. We, we, we were kind of like, it was open source. If you bought it, you could do it. Uh, and there was not really a necessity of crediting and necessity of, you know, a difference between a live performance and a tele televised recorded performance, you know. And in any other industry, uh, if you have a choreographer make a dance routine for a, a live show, uh, it, that's a one price. But if it's a televised recorded thing, it's another price. Mm -hmm. uh, and magic is choreography. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, we don't think about it that way, but there's there's a lot of uh, relationship to choreographing a dance and magic. And, and that is a uh, an art form that the creator, the choreographer, needs to be uh, compensated. So David was the first to say, no, no, we're going to do this right. You're going to make sure I do it right. And then, you know, we'll take care of you. And uh, I, that was un, unheard of. So, you know, I went to New York and then David... You know, I walked in the door and David's, you know, and, and sitting at the table is like Bill Kalush and Paul Harris and Michael Weber and, you know, and, and my like friends like Doug McKenzie. And, and we're all just sitting around this table, the dream team type of guys. Uh, and, and he kept that up. You know, he, you know, he kept up that dream team. Uh, it was just an amazing team. And I walk in and David says, Garrett, as if he's known me for years. And uh, which he always had, you know, that's part of David's magic is when you get to know him, you know, he, the world disappears and he's able to just, you know, he doesn't need to do any card tricks. You know, he's just such a, a fun, you know, person to, to get to, to be around that uh, it, it's always an adventure. So I, uh, so I showed him the ring trick immediately because, uh, you know, I, back then I was always wearing the ring. Uh, I've lost a little weight. So this is I got to get another ring because this is a little loose right now. But um, but back then I I put my luggage down. And I said I did the trick and immediately he was like, what? You know, and it was like, uh, you're hired. It is like and uh, that that and then the rest was history. You know, it was just uh, he, yeah. I sat down and I'm looking at these you know, legends, uh, that I've read about, uh, and we're ready to get to work. 
Yeah, that that is one thing definitely about that that David did and kind of changed it that he shows his consultants even more recently that he's kind of shown the consultants as part of the show where a lot of magicians would be like, no, I'm the magician and there's no one else and I, you know, you know that kind of thing. But it, David it's nice has possible. always tried. The amount of footage we have of us brainstorming and working uh, that we couldn't use because of ABC. Uh, ABC was saying, well, we're not investing in them. We're investing okay. in you. So we can't use anything that it's, so it's, it was really David years ago was like, no, I want to show you this. This is cool. And he's right. It, the, the process of the process is awesome. Yeah. Magic is cool. And he's finally with his, uh, uh, he's got a, a, a thing on monthly. Uh, he's able to show the, the a lot of the background of of how he puts his show together, uh, which is not for everybody, uh, but it does. It's a beautiful course uh, that teaches the process of making, you know, to to creating a trick for uh, you know television, and mm -hmm. it, it, he really shows. Of course, there you you see all the guys working on it, uh, and uh, David, you know, teaching people as well. Uh, but David from day one wanted to, uh, to, to, you know, it, he was always about being authentic and being honest and really, really showing people the real truth of who he was. But ABC was like, no, nope, no, nope, we're going to keep you a myth, keep you a celebrity, keep you a superstar. And, you know, they, they were right. I mean, it kind of, uh, you know, it, it establishes his credibility to look like a lone wolf. You know, yeah. you, you yeah. think, but you 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 believe like celebrities you know are alone, but they got a whole team of people that make up who they are. They got people keeping track of their social media, and it, like they don't sit there uh, on the phone and tweet. You know, usually they shouldn't be. They they should have people for that. And uh, so having a team of people that you trust that has your vision in mind uh, is what you would need to do at that level. Mm -hmm. And uh, and David was always wanted to. You know, David had the Andy Warhol, he still does. Uh, he, he has that Andy Warhol type of artist feel where by lifting everybody else up around him, he gets pushed higher. You know, if you yeah. make it all about me, 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 and tell everyone to lift you up, then they might do it or not. But if mm -hmm. you lift everybody else up, if you're like, oh, look what he's doing, look what he's doing, look what, oh man, this guy's great. Well, they're going to lift you up, but they're all going to lift you up and you're, you're going to go higher. So supporting the people around you and encouraging them and like celebrating anything. That's just who David was, you know, and David is, you know, that's how he, uh, you know, that's his magic. His magic is that he just loves, he loves things that are puzzles and mysteries and, and moments. And he wants to do whatever it takes to celebrate them. And he does it by celebrating everything that goes into it I, I remember reading before about martin scorsese once said that he didn't have to be you know the best of every field in making movies he just had to know the right people and i think that is a crucial component if you're going to push yourself to a certain level you know like like like, like anyone who's you know regularly performing doing shows and, and theater shows you, you need a solid team yeah yeah it's uh you can't expect yourself and in the art of magic, we do expect ourselves to be the director and the script writer and the choreographer and the consultant. And we watch ourselves on video as if we're going to see something. But it's like hearing your own voice on, on recording. You're blind to a lot of stuff still. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you really need another set of eyes, another person, even just to brainstorm and just talk it out. And the things you know are true. You might even, I, there are many lectures that teach things. And then you're like, why does he not take his course? Why does he not like listen to what he's saying? Because <laughs> but, but there is a, a, a psychological illusion that they can't see it all the time. And mm -hmm. so having workout buddies, having a partner, having just a, a sounding board to, to rattle these things off of. And of course, choosing people that know what they're, you know, what they're talking about. So having, uh, you know, someone like me uh, focus on the choreography, uh, but I'm not the best at like anything technological or with script writing. You got Ossie Wynn, who's amazing at figuring out how to, how to frame it as a script and how to theatrically perform it. And then Doug McKenzie, anything technological, he's, he's, I'm pretty sure Doug McKenzie is actually a spy. I'm, like, I'm, I'm you heard sure. it here first. <laughs> yeah, this. I mean, you know, maybe I may or may not have a friend in the witness protection program. Let's just. Say that. <laughs> He's no, bugging I, us all now. He's bugged our houses. We, yeah, we don't exactly. know how we done it, but he did it. <laughs> this whole, whole channel goes to black. Bug. <laughs> yeah, an ice cream truck just left outside my house. It's weird. Yeah. It was there for a minute, and now it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, but yeah, the, the, these are some of the, uh, you know, my dearest friends and, you know, amazing magicians uh, in our own right. But we all have our different skill sets. And David's brilliant choice was to choose people that didn't overlap too much. He wanted yeah. conflict. He wanted uh, me to disagree. Uh, he, he, he didn't want everyone to be uh, the same because then it's like, yeah, we all would have done it that way. So how did, what do we learn? Uh, mm -hmm. So we, you have guys like Garcia and Blake Void and and uh, you know all these people from different styles of magic, all close up, all you know, fantastic in their own right, uh, but with slightly different approaches uh, that don't overlap too much, so that you get the best choice of options. And uh, mm -hmm. that was a brilliant uh, decision. You know, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be in a position where you can have more than just a couple of people, you don't want everybody to be, you know, along the same lines. You don't you don't need every you know you don't need people that agree with you. You know, that's yeah. the first thing to throw out is this. You know, get rid of anyone who's just yeah, that's awesome, no matter what. Mm, you know, definitely. that's that's not gonna help you. And yeah, you know, I see that often in our magic communities where you know, they want feedback and, but they don't give good feedback. They're like, Oh no, that's great. That's great. That's wonderful. And they're, they're it's not, and they know it. Uh, and now the person doesn't get better. Yeah. You know, this, the, the community that, you know, you want to help each other and there should be a sensitivity to how to approach that. Uh, so whenever anyone shows me something, I always say, well, do you want, me to just to watch it overall and just give, give you know, uh, see what you just want to show me something or do you want critique? Do you want, uh, is there any element you want me to focus on? Is there, cause there's always ways to make it better. And I always say that before I watch it because it's always true, mm -hmm. but I don't want people to think that I'm criticizing because I think it's bad. I'm criticizing because it's great. And it just, you know, just let's get it. Let's get over a couple of these little hurdles and uh, let's make it let's make it even better because you know be happy with what you got today but tomorrow you can make it better and that's what makes art great is is it you can always 
especially performance art, you can make it better tomorrow. You know, if it's perfect, then don't ever do it again. Record it. And just, you know. Yeah, I, I love getting criticism from people that are qualified to criticize. You know, and I, I, I do, you know, do you know what I mean? Where, where if they have a real genuine knowledge of maybe what you're doing or whatever, I do a lot of escapes and escapology, but I'd have people who criticize a stunt, but they've never put on a set of handcuffs, you know, and, and then that's irrelevant, you know, that's not criticism, that's any beneficial, you know. So if yeah. it's someone in, in that has the quality, like for, for example, there's older magicians um, that would be friends of mine and there's an elderly magician called Tony Sadar, who was a TV magician in Ireland years ago. And he, he would often criticize not not in a bad way, but just in a really corrective, you know, kind of like he he wants it to be the best it can be, which just and like you said, just little tweaks here and there. Uh, he'd look at something and go, "You could just do it this way," and straight away you know he's right. You know, and and there is no criticism. Yeah, never take advice from somebody you don't want to be. Yeah, definitely. The, the, yeah, the right advice from the wrong person will still be the wrong advice in your heart, in your head. You know, yeah. it will settle wrong. I, uh, you know. Uh, but I do listen closely to the enemies. So even if they're totally wrong and they are attacking uh, and they're criticizing in a negative, mm -hmm. I'm always really sensitive to, oh, that's interesting. Why did they think that was a weak spot? Why did that they think that would get to me? You know, why did they see that as the point of attack? Uh, so even if they are criticizing in a negative, you can learn something from it, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, and if they don't know what they're, they're talking about, you know, filter that and then wonder, well, why did that catch their eye? You know, if they're doing, if they're still doing it out of love and they want to help, but they don't know what they're talking about still, I still would listen and say, all right, interesting. And I always put on the dunce cap. You know, I always uh, pretend I know nothing and assume everything and i reinvent the universe if i have to and i try to see all right is this person clueless and has no idea what they're talking about or is there a little something that can be learned from this and it and even if i have to re-prove principles that are in place well no no we do want the audience to scream and clap their hands because it gets them connected and you know you you, you need that element of all right everybody louder uh, which is cheesy, but we have to do it because uniting the audience makes a better show. Uh, so if you don't understand that, you might want to eliminate those elements, but you're missing you're missing something beautiful in a in a theatrical environment. So yeah, yeah to take everything with a, a grain of salt, and uh, but but always uh, you know let it go through all your filters before you throw it out. Yeah, I often I often hear when you know you hear like a, a crazy kind of method. You, you and if it's coming from someone that doesn't kind of do stuff the way you do, or or as in that the same level that you are, or whatever, I I often think that it's kind of like how lay people think. So in in a roundabout way, you're kind of like, okay, this is how the audience probably thinks, and you can take that as not criticism. Uh, you know the the old saying of like, if you want to hear how you really did on stage, you know, you know, listen after the show. You know, how I mean, the musicians are. And performers that would hide in the bathroom and try to listen in the stalls and see, you know, where. And it, it is that, you know, you, you get a real honest. When people think you, they're not being listened, you know, be, being heard, you're going to get a, an honest opinion. Yeah, put a camera on your audience and, you know, you'll be surprised how many magicians in the audience uh, or in other industries, let's say comedians. Sure, yeah. A lot of comedians say, 
you know, this person's criticizing this, but when I watched the video, they were falling off the chair laughing. And then they say, well, you know what, you should write it like this. And it's like, it, like it literally, it, you, you couldn't stop laughing yet. You want to change it. Why would you ever change it? You know, uh, and in magic, it's, it's, it's probably the same thing where, where they, it's stuck in their head for some reason. And now they want to give you touches to make it better. It's like, let's talk about the thing you forgot about. Let's talk about the, like, how do I make you remember the other stuff? Uh, but if, if you're trying to improve something, but you liked it, you don't, maybe, maybe don't change it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, record your audience, record your show, record your performances and, you know, really, uh, be, you know, and then, like I said, get a director, get somebody who, who can uh, go over that material with you. You know, if you if you can't afford that at first, which you know who can, uh, then uh, then yeah, then you have to be you have to put on different hats. You know, like I put on the dunce hat, uh, claiming innocence and pretending I don't know anything, and uh, and then reinventing the universe. I'll put on a director's hat and think, all right, now I'm gonna forget I'm Garrett. I'm gonna forget I'm the performer and just tell myself what is wrong and what's not being communicated correctly and what an audience is probably thinking and and then i'll put on the uh a lighting director's hat and just figure out even if you don't change the lighting in the room what's being spotlighted with your body language you know mm -hmm. if you turn a certain way things are spotlighted one way and then you go another way and it's spotlighted in a different way and that becomes a spotlight even though the, the lighting might not change you can think of that as a lighting director and then go over your scripts you know, I have all these filters uh, that if I don't know what's wrong with something or if it's kind of getting dusty, you know, it's good. It works, but it, it needs new life. Something's going on. Uh, I've either evolved a bad habit and I don't know what it is or it's not getting the reaction I want it to. Uh, I'll I'll use these games, these filters to kind of uh open my eyes to certain elements and I'll just say, all right, I'm going to look at the whole thing, but I'm only going to focus on the emotion. I'm going to look at this uh, same trick. Now the next day I might focus on uh, the feet position, which is huge. You know, where your feet are, even if you're seated, your feet position matter. And uh, then I'll, now I'll focus on just what if I took out the words, am I communicating everything with body language enough, you know, and focus on it and so on. Uh, yeah. these are games that I, I use to, to trick myself into seeing things differently. Uh, yeah. something I learned from my mother who was a, a portrait artist and there's times where you're looking at the piece too long and it's not, I mean, I'm looking at the picture and I'm drawing it, but it's not like I got everything right, but it's not right. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the tricks is to take your picture and your piece and turn them upside down. And then all of a sudden you'll see, oh, the left eye is in, you're way too far away. You know, you were staring at it too long. And yeah. so tricking yourself to have different points of views, uh, playing these games uh, that, that I have, and you can make up your own. You know, any element, eliminate it, put it back, exaggerate it. You know, what if, what if you perform the routine and you're suspicious about your own ability? What if you're angry at what you're doing? You know, just changing the emotion. Think about how much better or different a routine could be if you were just uh you know shy about it you know yeah. what if i what if i was shy in this moment what would happen what if i had that energy and it's it's even if you don't use it completely 
you'll learn something. You'll learn something about elements uh, of, in dynamic, and and they're just fun games and exercises to play. It's really good. It's really good advice. Really good tip. Myself and Dave were talking recently um, as well about like staging on stage, where you know you could start the show obviously by yourself, and then you might bring up one spectator. And they might be on your left, or you might have two then on your right later on, and then you could have four before the intermission or whatever it might be. And we're just kind of looking, you know, as, as an image. Um, who do we have on? Yeah, was, uh, about Nick Tan. Nick Tan yeah, as well yeah, was, yeah, was yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. the, yeah, about the structure, about like the visuals of what it looks like to the audience that they're not just seeing, you know, yeah. you're standing on the left, you're standing on the right, or move a around rule, and, and things. A good rule is that if you took a picture of the show, you should know what trick you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of where you're standing, you know, like you should never perform the whole show. And I'm guilty of this too, right now, especially uh, the show I'm working on uh, right now. I'm, I'm finding I'm like, I'm, I come to the center of the stage and I'm not using the stage uh, completely. And I know this, you know, I know, I, I, you know, I know that each, each moment, you know, I, I know what trick I'm doing because of the props, but I should make it more dynamic. I should I should play with different elements. Am I close to the audience? Am I further back? Am I to the left or the right? Uh, am I seated? Am I standing? Each trick you could change and create such great texture that um, nothing feels boring uh, because of just those elements, you know, and that's that's. Mm -hmm. Uh, every time you do a game like that, you learn something about your own show and you add that element and then you never have to think about it again. But man, those, the, you know, the beauty of it is just the fact that it looks genius. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks like, man, this guy's just a genius. And no, he played these games and he fixed it and then went back and fixed it again. And, uh, you know, you live this groundhog day. Uh, you live this performance over and over again until it's perfect. And it looks brilliant because of flight time, because you get to do it over and over again. Definitely. It is the repetition is key. And I think something when you're looking back at your show as well is the taking the time, because especially if you're doing a show that's like your artistic expression, right after your show, you're going to be pretty sensitive about what people tell you about your show. So you want to like maybe like give it a day, maybe two before rewatching yourself. Or you like, I know for myself, I need at least 24 hours before I can deconstruct my yeah, show. But, but even that, everybody's different. I, uh, you know, I know performers that need all the negatives first, right after the show, because they'll forget. Because they, their, their show is, is this emotional. It, it depends on the type of performer. If, if you stem from emotion, you need to be in the that emotion to change it. And if 24 hours might throw you out of the emotion, but if you stem from uh, analytical or logical or like uh, critical thinking, well, then it doesn't matter. Uh, you want to enjoy the emotion and on tomorrow, well, let's critique and let's go over the details. But sometimes you have the Oreo cookie uh, theory where you say something good, then you talk about the negatives and then you say something good. Right. That's the, the cookie way of uh, critiquing something. And that's a beautiful thing to always do. No matter who the person is, there's something brilliant about uh, bookending it with the positives. Uh, but I know guys that are like, yeah, well, forget the fluff. Just, you know, <laughs> what do I need to fix for tomorrow night? Or what do I need to fix? Like, what, what are my notes? And they want them like right away. Uh, mm -hmm. Our team with uh, the show that I'm doing now 
man, we, we immediately like the audience is still there and we're like, all right, so uh, in the first half <laughs> this happened and we need to do this, let's change this. And you said this sentence again, you know, that that was confusing last time. Still it's confusing. Eliminate, get the, get rid of that. And uh, just immediately right after while it's in our mind, but that's like, a, like, uh, you know, David would be different. You know, everybody's different and you want to figure out what works for you. You know, that's, yeah. that's the thing is try it a day later, try it a week later, try it immediately after and see what yields the best result for you. Definitely. If you go to like a comedy club, like I've done the comedy club circuit a bit in court and you see the same comedian, the same things, and they're just changing emphases on a word. That's the, all they're doing tonight is I'm going to emphasize this word, said this word. And after a while, I feel like I'm going crazy because I'm like, I know all these jokes off my heart. It's been three months and it's the same thing. But it's that's the level in magic we need to get to of like performing every night because it is rare for people to be able to do your show every yeah. night and like do that sort of stuff. Where magicians, we feel like we need a 40 minute show before we can do something. Well, comedians are like, I need a good two minutes. <laughs> it's like you need to get into that sort of frame of mind. Sometimes but the comedians better. that become good are the ones that work and they hustle and they spend as much time on rewriting a line as we do practicing any move. Like you mm -hmm. think it's just, oh, they wrote a joke and it's, and they, they go out and perform it. No, like you said, just changing the emotion and the emphasis. And then how long do you wait? Like, how long do you know when the laughter is going to end? Cause you know, that joke was a three laugh or a five laugh or whatever. Like, and then you think about comedians that are so good that they'll record a Netflix schedule or, or excuse me, Netflix special. And, uh, and they will know how long it's going to take you to laugh. And they're not even there with you. And they have the same dramatic pauses because they know their material and their style so well that, and these are pros, you know, they know their style so well that they're like, all right, they're going to go, ha, 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 or, you know, or I'm, I'm going to have to wait even longer to say the next sentence because if I, you know, they're at home laughing right now. And I, uh, and they know that they, they can feel uh, what you would be doing at home. And that's totally different. So understanding your material requires the flight time. And these comedians go out nightly and for free in open mics and, and poetry slams and, uh, and, and anywhere public speaking is, is, is happening. They'll, you know, they are using that opportunity to practice telling their stories and doing their bits. And we should be doing the same thing. You know, yeah. uh, I was performing nine venues a week before COVID and, uh, and I miss it. Like the flight time, that's when I got good. You know, it was, it was right during that, that I did, uh, the Penn and Teller special and I was on my a game. I was so, I was so not ready for the Penn and Teller show, uh, because I had no idea the pressures of a theater that big because I'm a close-up magician and no idea of the psychological pressures of realizing Oh wait, there's 4 million people behind that camera when it airs and then millions and millions and millions in reruns and and who knows like there's there's already 5 million people on YouTube that's that's watched the video and it's like just crazy. Uh it didn't hit me until I was on stage. 
And there's a moment when I smile because that's when I went, oh, wait, I know this world. I know this trick. I know it well enough that uh, uh, we got some rustling there. Sorry about that, guys. It's not me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. It's gone. Uh, but <laughs> it was that moment that I, when I smiled that I realized I know this. You know, this is this is a trick I've been doing for over 20 years. And I could just trust my muscle memory to take over. And that's when I was able to let go. But I was, I was in a panic attack until that moment. It was a really good performance. I really enjoyed the, uh, your, your appearance on, on Penn and Teller. I thought it was, really came across well. And you could see it was a routine that you were very comfortable with and that you were able to perform uh, really well through and, and got the reaction that you wanted. Thank you. Uh, so we have a segment on the show, which we mentioned, which is called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which is all about performances that maybe don't go to plan. Uh, and a story maybe to let other people know that even the very best make mistakes at times. Do you have any sort of stories like that that uh, pop to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I, I like using the, uh, the Penn and Teller special as an example because uh, you, you can watch the 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 results um you know first thing there was like there was like 30 minutes of stuff that was filmed and it ended up being you only get to see like five minutes of it and there are so many other things that happen that are 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 great but uh you got the good the bad the ugly i think in every performance there is the good the bad and the ugly it's you yeah. know that's that's why we want those notes at the end we want to fix the bad keep the good and the ugly, we can just uh, whitewash over it or, you know, maybe let's turn that into something cool. Uh, you know, the uh, Penn and Teller's team was so amazing. Uh, I felt I owed it to the microphone guy. The guy putting the microphone on my suit just was so professional. And, and everybody, but I'm just using this, this guy who his only job was to put the microphone on me. And he's like... Well, look at this long vest. This is what a magician should look like. This is great. Keeping me in the game, keeping me on my best. Like, and I'm like, you live in Vegas. You are not impressed by a long vest. You know, it's like, but he that's he's doing his job and he did it so well that I was like, I owe it to this guy to do my best. And I uh, and you know, because I didn't really think about it, the bad in that situation was I wasn't psychologically prepared for what I was about to do. I wasn't even thinking I was going to try to fool them, you know, until yeah. the night before. And I, I was talking with Mike close and he said, I, uh, Mike close was one of the producers and one of the uh, judges. Uh, he's the one that really decides uh, if Penn and Teller are, are fooled or not yeah. uh, at this point, uh, Johnny Thompson used to have that role. Uh, but now um, Mike, Mike was like, well, no, you got to try to fool them. You're here. Right. And I'm like, cause I was just there to have fun and show, you know, Teller had not, uh, I had not been on Teller's radar and my magic might not have been on his radar because it was close up magic and not something he would, would have been studying. And, uh, so I just wanted to get back on, on their radar and I was not prepared for the, um, the panic attack. I uh, seriously, I, I, I didn't know. I had no idea how bad panic attacks were for people that suffer through it. 
you know, and I used to be the idiot that would say, you know, take a deep breath and just relax. It's like, yeah, we ha like we haven't tried that, you know, like, yeah. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I should breathe. Oh, that's great. You know, it's like when people suffering through it, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's serious. And it's, it, there's really not much you could say, uh, but, you know, just be there for someone, I guess. But there's this woman that smiled, another person on Penn and Teller's team, and she saw what I was going through and I don't know who this was. And she disappeared. She was just sitting there and she's, she nodded and she's like, yep, this is happening. <laughs> and she <laughs> had this smile on her face and I'm like, all right, I got to go out there and do this. And, uh, you know, and then I get out there and, you know, lots of crazy other things uh, happened that I talk about uh, on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, but it was just this, you know, every moment is good, bad and ugly. You know, sometimes things that are perfect and beautiful are actually ugly. And some things that are ugly are actually beautiful. And it's it's really subjective and, and hard to know. But it's like, you know, what it, what are you going to do with the information? And uh, let's let's keep the good. Let's fix the bad and, you know, decide what makes that ugly and if it needs to be showcased or eliminated. And, uh, and yeah, and I think it happens. I mean, it happens so much every, every time I go out there, every, every time I perform, uh, there, there are just moments that are good. And I think that's part of the magic of magic is, is that the magician often is just waiting to point at the rainbow. Yeah. And, uh, most of the time you're just entertaining, but every once in a while, you could change someone's life every once in a while you can give someone hope and make them realize anything's possible and that thing they're struggling with you know maybe they can get over it maybe they can get under it maybe they can get around it that wall they can they can break through maybe it's no longer there they just think it's there uh, maybe it used to be there uh, you can give them hope or you can also give someone an ego check and bring them down you know, instead of it being about uh, entertainment, it could be about frustrating people. There's value to that, too. You know, it's not just about lifting people up. Sometimes it's about bringing people down. That's why I love uh, magic as a balancing art form. If you need hope, it's there. If you need a puzzle, it's there. And it's the same moment. It's not like there's one tricks that you do to make people happy, one tricks to make them sad. If I write a sad story, it's going to make everyone sad, even if you're already depressed. So, uh, it's much better to, uh, to, I, you know, the, the beauty of magic is that it's vague and it, it, it says what the observer needs to hear. And so, uh, what might be good to one person is bad to another. And when you hear two people sitting right next to each other, they just watch your show and one person goes, Oh, I hate this. And the other person goes, Oh, I love this. It's the same moment. And one person is absolutely upset and the other person is absolutely in love. And it's, it's because that's what they need. You know, I, in historically magicians have angels and devils on their shoulders because yeah. sometimes people need something to run to. And sometimes people need something to run from to get people to move. You might take a devil or it might take an angel. It might take something to draw you into something or push you from something. And that's just getting people to move. 
So I think magicians realized that historically and went, if they need a guru, I'll be a guru. If they need a, a devil, I'll be the devil. I don't care. Just as long as they're moving, as long as they're growing, as long as they're not stagnant. You know, if you're going through hell, you keep going. Don't stop. You know, just like don't stay where you're at. And I think magic does that. It moves people whatever way they need to go. You know, I, I don't pull them or point. It Magic organically pushes them in the way they need to go. Absolutely. That's yeah. really good advice. They're really like stuff that I think a lot of people need to hear. And like, it's great to hear your insights on uh, magic and th th that sort of theory stuff. Uh, we've crossed the hour now, so we don't, don't want to take up too much of your time. For people who've been enjoying this and they want to get more information about you and follow you online, where's the best place to find you? Um, probably my YouTube channel, uh, Garrett Thomas uh, Magician, uh, or my website, gtmagic.com. Uh, if there's any, uh, any uh, I do a lot of Zoom classes, anything you want to work on or things like that. Uh, just like this, we can brainstorm or we can work on some... Uh, some sleight of hand. If you like those filters that I was talking about, we can, uh, you know, have these challenges where I, I have you, uh, I'll give you a way to a look at your magic and then we'll, you'll video it and send it back to me and we can talk about it. Uh, so yeah, any way I can help, uh, I'm out there. You can find me on the internet. Absolutely. We put the links to the YouTube Brilliant. channel and the website in the comments below uh, in the description so people can check that out. And definitely thank you again, Gary, for coming on and spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. My and, pleasure. Uh, it's been absolutely amazing advice and definitely recommend everybody go check that out. And uh, if you watch this, please subscribe to the channel, follow us on all the social media to see reality. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've got oh, subscribe account is going up, which we really appreciate. So thanks to everyone for doing that. And uh, we'll be back again next week with another interview. So thanks again, Garrett, and enjoy the rest of your day. Um, thanks, Garrett. Thanks, man. Have a great night, guys.